Hey, y'all. I haven't said that in a while. I like saying y'all now that I'm in Texas. We've got a dope, dope, very young, highly intelligent uh, man named Matt Maruka, who has really become a disciple of all the geniuses involved around photobiomodulation. You might have heard him on the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast, my boy Luke Story, the Lifestylist Podcast, or many others who have been glued, uh, I guess, to... I don't want to say biohacking. This dude is is exactly where I'm at with biohacking. He's not that into it. He's into fucking nature. And he talks all about the ways sunlight affects our bodies. And we dive really into the woods here at parts. So I do apologize because we go fairly deep into the science. And I'll be perfectly honest. Some of it was over my head. But I learned a lot from this guy. I'm going to have him back on the show. And he is a wealth of knowledge. He's studying under guys like Dr. Jack Cruz and a couple other really potent people that I want to get on the show as well. Uh, it's just a fantastic conversation. And he answers a lot of the questions that I think you might have around sunlight, uh, proper dosing and all that good stuff. But we get into it all here. And it's very important. I think it's one of the key missing ingredients from our primal past into our modern world. And we talk about ways we can optimize our experience here. There's a few ways you can support this show. One, click subscribe so you never miss a show. Two, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways that the show has helped you in life. And three, check out our sponsors because they really help make this show possible. First and foremost, I want to tell you about our dudes at ButcherBox. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality, humanely raised meat that you can trust. Every month, ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door. And the shipping is free. The incredible quality of ButcherBox meat starts with the commitment to humanely raised animals that are never given antibiotics or added hormones. By taking out the middleman and purchasing direct from a collective of ranchers, ButcherBox is able to buy meat at a lower cost and pass those savings on to you. Choose from four curated boxes or customize your own box so you can get exactly what you and your family will love. Now, I love getting the box that has an assortment of things because it causes me to cook different ways. You know, if I have pork chops, that's an easy one. I can do it in the pan. If I get a nice roast like we had last night, we threw it in with some onion and purple yam and a few boxes of bone broth, and we let it rip. And in the morning when it was ready, we tossed in some cilantro and green onion and a little bit of my favorite yellow bird hot sauce. And this was one of the best roasts I've ever had. The quality is there. The flavor is there. Their product is one of my absolute favorites and they deliver nothing but the best at a fraction of the price. Each box comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individualized sized meals. Of course, I'm going to eat a little bit more than that at each sitting, but the meat is frozen at the peak of freshness in individual vacuum-sealed packs. All meat is delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. They've got one hell of a deal for new subscribers. You're going to receive ground beef for life. That's right. Sign up today, and ButcherBox will send you two pounds of 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef free in every box for the life of your subscription. Plus, listeners will get an additional $20 off their first box. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. For two pounds of 100% grass-fed beef, free in every box for the life of your subscription, plus 20 bucks off, go to butcherbox.com slash Kingsbury or enter promo code Kingsbury at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash Kingsbury or enter the promo code Kingsbury at checkout. Also, my dudes at Wave, these guys make my absolute favorite CBD on the planet. Working here in product development for Onnit has given me uh, many things in life, but it's funny how many people send me CBD in hopes that we will purchase and white label or do some type of co-branding. Uh, but I've had 
boatloads of CBDs that I've tried. A lot of them are organic. A lot of them are good, but nothing works quite as well as Wave. And I mean that from the feeling that I get from taking it, as well as from the flavor, as well as from knowing that it is a 100% organic farm that is USDA certified out in Colorado. They use 100% CO2 extraction. That means you're only going to get the exact things that you want from that hemp extraction. Various cannabinoids, terpenes, and full profile, full spectrum CBD all in this product. No sweeteners, nothing added, just a little bit of MCT oil to suspend it in and some delicious flavors if you want them. Lemon and cinnamon are my favorites, and of course, they have an unflavored version. They're also working on water-soluble methods as well as some pretty cool creams that I've used for a lot of bumps and bruises. You can get 10% off by going to wave.com slash Kyle. That's W-A-A-Y-B dot com slash Kyle. Check these guys out. It is an absolute game changer. I use it in the morning for a little bit reduced anxiety around my caffeine stimulation, and I use it in the evening to help knock myself out and get a nice restful sleep. And lastly, we've got our dudes at Onnit. Of course, we are doing a fantastic golden ticket sweepstakes because we've sold a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and we want to return the favor back to you, our customers. And all you have to do, very simple, is just go to onnit.com slash Kyle to get 10% off, and you're going to purchase one 30-count or 90-count Alpha Brain bottle. Or you can purchase more, like I do, but... You purchase the one that enters you to win, and the grand prize will be an all-expense-paid trip to Austin, Texas to hang and train at Onnit HQ with yours truly, Aubrey Marcus, and some of our other fine coaches and staff like the Primal Swolger. You're going to get a plus one on that grand prize, and you're going to get a lot of other prizes in the mix too. All you got to do is buy one bottle of 30 or 90 count at onnit.com slash Kyle. Thank you guys for tuning in today. With Matt Maruka, I know you guys are going to dig this one, and I appreciate you all. Matt Maruka? Is that how you say it? Yeah. All right. All right. Maruka in Italian. Matt Maruka is in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, easy enough. Um, get that like a fist from you. All right. There we go. You can move it around. Uh-huh. That's super handy. Um, Let's see here. So I, I heard you on Luke Story's podcast. Obviously, you've been making your rounds to all the homies. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and you're here in Austin. Thank you for reaching out to one of my team members to come on the show because I'm, I'm fucking blown away by your work. And, you know, this we've, we've had a brief conversation prior to this. And something that I was reminded of is, you know, and you'll, you'll get into this, of course, is that Dr. Jack Cruz is a wealth of knowledge, but he's also not that palatable for a lot of people. So one of the things you've done is you've taken his work and mastery and distilled it down for others to share. And uh, that's something I, I had this vision on mushrooms one night. And then I, I know some people are tired of me talking about a psychedelics, but <clears throat> I had this vision of me eating a book and then regurgitating it to the world into a microphone. And so it was like, that's part of what I do is I distill ah. the information from the masters and bring it to the masses. And it was really fucking cool. But that's, that's what I see in you. And you're fucking young, man. How, yeah. are you, how old are you now? 20. 20 on the button. Yeah. You were 18 when I first heard you on Luke's show. Um, yeah, as of August twelfth. That's awesome. Well, let's 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 dive right in. Let's dive right yeah. into, um, you know, I think all 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 of the people that I find to be wizards in the space of health and wellness got there because of the fact that they had their backs against the wall. Their health was fucking shot. You look at guys like Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf. Everyone had a reason. So let's get your reason for getting yes, into this I and will. when that started. Absolutely. So I, I got to turn my phone on silence. So <laughs> <I can> do that. <laughs> Can't leave everyone without a little suspense, can you? 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I use airplane mode because then you can't get any signals coming in. But um, so I was 14 years old and living, growing up in Philadelphia, a suburb. And I was fortunate to have such a great group of friends around who always brought me outside. Like I was always playing basketball on the courts, always. Actually, we were smoking a lot of weed, which was not, I think, a good thing. It was a symptom of the fact that, you know, we had issues going on and we needed that crutch just to feel good. Now, it's probably a better numbing agent than alcohol. Probably so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I wasn't drinking alcohol because, you know, people always said, oh, weed's good for you. Alcohol's really bad. That was like the thing that I just bought into. Now, personally, um, I don't know if one could talk about this on air, but whatever. Oh, you can talk about anything on air. <laughs> Great. I talk about drugs yeah. all the time. I yeah. don't, I, if I smoke weed, it's like it shorts my circuit. I don't do it because I don't feel well if I do. So it's almost like when I was deficient in, I guess you could say light, it was like a benefit. It made me feel better. But now that I'm not as much, I it shorts me out. But so I was having um, acne breakouts and you're 14, you're in high school, you want to meet girls, you want to, you know, have fun and getting acne is like, just not fun, right? So it was, it was really, really like not good. And I was all the while having um, headaches, allergies, and gut issues. But these things I had grown to believe were uncurable. They're par for the course. Yeah, well, Everyone's, a lot of people, a lot of people have. Not everybody has everything, but a exactly. lot of people have it. Enough people exactly. have asthma. Enough people have these things that you're just like, oh, that's normal. I was like, it's normal. It's it's fine, you know. Like even even though I would eat a meal, I didn't know why, and I would have just constant gas bloating. It was pretty miserable. But I I totally just disregarded. I was like, well, you know, one doctor said I should take aspirin or whatever Claritin for my allergies. You know, the gastroenterologist said just take Tums when you have like stomach issues. It'll like do something, you know, it was literally the, the extent of their explanations, like maybe it'll work. And then same thing for headaches, like just pop some Advil and, you know, that's about the best you can do. And that's it. So that was my current understanding. So I tried the paleo diet because I had just had some light bulb and the light bulb was something to the extent of maybe my guts damaged and all this greasy food I was eating was causing these breakouts. Cause my mom had told me, Greasy food can cause breakouts. So I was like, how to heal a damaged gut? I was like Googling. And of course, the Whole30 came up, paleo. And I did that just for my skin. And in one week, I stopped having headaches. I basically stopped having gut issues. And my allergies went like very quickly improved significantly just from removing. And I was a vegetarian from age like seven to like 13 or so. Because I don't know why I think I had a vegan babysitter who totally like kind of planted those seeds, and that totally <laughs> I accelerated. Love the pun there too. Yeah, planted the seeds. Yeah, exactly. It totally accelerated the demise because you know I was like super skinny, extremely pale, and um, yeah, it was it wasn't a good situation. So when that happened, it was like, like how did I not know that basically everyone's diet is killing us? It was really like. One of those things where, you know, especially at that age and, you, you know, you're always looking for something to kind of give you the answers, especially when you're, I think, in that pubescent age, trying to like figure the world out. And so to get hooked on that, I became like an evangelist, you know, trying to sell my friends, my family and everything. But the thing was, I only had about 75% improvement, I would say, compared to what I just intuited was really possible. I was still having some allergies, some gut issues and some headaches. So I went from paleo to autoimmune paleo, you know, no nuts, no dairy, familiar Low with the FODMAP. whole deal. Low FODMAP, I tried at some point. 
um, the whole, the whole thing. And even then I was still not feeling optimal. So I was like, because it's all about food, which is what I thought at the time I was thinking, well, I got to heal my gut because my gut still must be damaged. That's like the paleo worldview. It's like damaged gut equals proteins coming into the bloodstream equals immune reaction and disease essentially. But it all starts with the gut. They use the quote from Hippocrates, you know, like all disease begins in the gut and maybe it does, but it doesn't necessarily happen because of food. But anyhow, so I went on the GAPS diet. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of this? So this was like six years ago. I don't know if it it was definitely not as popular as it is now, but bone broth, cooked meats and well-cooked vegetables within like a very tight range of things. And so I was actually felt like I was starving. You know, I was like cooking my own food. My parents, my mom, who I lived with growing up, I'm also a triplet. So I have two sisters the same age and a little brother. So, you know, like my mom was pretty supportive. She was like, you got to do what you got to do. You know, I don't fully understand it, but she just was always supportive, which was great. And my dad just kind of saw that I was doing something, trying to improve my health and I was all into it. And like they, you know, bought whatever food I wanted or I could buy my own groceries and they would, you know, reimburse me. But eventually it got to a point where I was like pretty miserable because I kind of thought, okay, the diet is the answer to this pain that I was having essentially and struggling but I couldn't get it right. Like I just couldn't dial it in. It just wasn't working. And so it was the stricter diet, the stricter diet to the point where I literally felt like I was starving on the, on the uh, ketogenic diet in the form of gaps. And so I ended up basically 15 years old at this point, like letting myself kind of go off the rails on repeated occasions. In other words, I would have one thing like a piece of chocolate or something that I was craving. And then the idea of these autoimmune diets is, if you eat the thing you can't eat, then it activates the immune system and you pretty much have undone a lot of your work, you know, and because you re, you know, activate it and it's a mess. So I, I totally believe this 100%. So when I had one thing I couldn't have, quote unquote, I literally would go and eat the next thing and the next thing until I was literally spooning down like multiple pints of ice cream. Just like, and I, it was, yeah, it was pretty messy. But the thing was, it was like pleasurable. But at the same time, I, I came to like hate myself. I came to be really depressed miserable thinking that my lack of self-control, lack of ability to stick to these diets was the reason that I was still struggling and that there was no other factor other than just the lack of my ability to stick to the diets. But then after my dad offered me to work with like any, he was like, pick any doctor of your choice. You know, I can't see you struggling like this. I'm like, my dad's a really great guy. He's like, just pick some doctor, whether they're alternative, whatever, you know, I'll pay for it, get her everything. So I did that with a functional doc. I took these supplements, did a protocol, um, changed and it didn't really change that much for me, you know, anyhow, I learned about this, this, uh, mentor teacher of mine now, Dr. Cruz, Dr. Jack Cruz in the paleo world, he had been sort of excommunicated because he went into the first paleo FX conference and basically said, light is more important for biology than food. And if someone disagrees, they're wrong. And so I think people were really turned off by that, especially early in the paleo years. And so, um, but he had his own community teaching to people who these other things didn't work for. And I was reading about this leptin reset that certain people were posting about. I was like, why am I craving carbs? That was the fundamental issue. It was like my body wasn't functionally succeeding in ketosis. I was felt like I was starving to death, basically. And I didn't get it. But so he, these people on these different forums were like, have you checked out Dr. Cruz's reset, leptin reset? I'm like, no, I'll check it out. So I did that and it was totally 
something I had never considered before was light and how it could affect the body. Literally never once in my entire life did I ever consider how light could affect biology, artificial light, sunlight. I don't think once, except maybe, you know, that the sun made me feel good. But even then, it was never a consideration. And I think that's where most of the world is today, which is something I'm looking to sort of influence in a positive direction. So I started doing that. And then I started feeling significantly better just from waking up in the morning, watching the sunrise and eating a big protein breakfast. And that sort of reset my rhythm. After the fact, I know the reason why I wasn't succeeding in ketosis, or at least the most likely, was that um, in cancer states, there's a guy named Warburg, Otto Warburg, mm -hmm. like old research, you know, the Warburg shift, the mitochondria are burning. They effectively always will choose sugar in these cancerous states and they prefer it and it's pretty much all they can burn. So there's a level of like the mitochondria are messed up and sugar's easier to burn than fat essentially. So they choose that. So as far as I understand now, that's probably what was happening. You know, not that my cells were cancerous or precancerous, but they were on that track of dysfunction. Mitochondria shot, not exactly. doing well, burning fat, fat for fuel. Mm -hmm, exactly. So just, it was like sugar, sugar, sugar. So that's why after a couple, like a week, even on a GAPS diet, I just couldn't resist when I'm out with my friends or whatever, you know, they're eating chips and soda and candy and I'll just have like one thing and then guilt myself and go, but, but if I felt great when I did that, I felt really good at least before I went past the point of sa satisfaction and satiation to the point of just like absolutely destroying myself out of like self-hatred and just like misery. <laughs> so then, then it was like, no, I want to vomit, but it was, it was for sure some level of an eating disorder at that point. But anyhow, so there was, there was very little looking at the fundamental root cause. And that's the thing in the whole paleo community I see, or the, the food community generally, there's not much questioning like, why do people have these autoimmune diseases? It's like, we'll cut all the foods out that trigger it. But there's very little like, why is it happening in the first place? It's almost like people kind of imply based on their methodology that it's the food itself that's causing the dysfunction. But if we look holistically at the population and even historically that people have eaten grains for 10,000 years and only in the last 130 so years have these diseases begun to really skyrocket. So yes, there's more GMO, there's worse food. But even within my peer group, my friends were eating terrible diets too. So by the logic of the food focused world, these my friends should be also having the same issues I was. But there's a component that was different between me and them. And I believe now that that was the mitochondria. So that was sort of my like intro into all this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, for, for people that don't know, leptin is a hormone. And what is it in charge of? Energy accounting. So it lets the brain know when you're full and yeah. when you're satiated. And particularly, um, so fat produces leptin. So it's produced in our fat stores. And then it signals to the hypothalamus in the brain, which is like the master, you know, regulator of pretty much all of our glands, all of our hormone releases and everything, which, and it happens to be, we'll get into this directly wired to the eye by the optic nerve. And that's kind of the, the fascinating part of where we're going with this. But when someone is leptin resistant, which is this sort of thing that Dr. Cruz put together, this idea that obesity isn't the result of excess calorie intake and not burning it off because, you know, it's the calories in, calories out theory, but rather that people who are obese, like I was just on the airplane um, yesterday flying from London back here 
and there's a guy who's overweight next to me. And I just notice, you know, I haven't had a thing for breakfast at London time in the morning when I get, when I left my hotel, I didn't take the first meal on the plane at the beginning of 10 hours. I didn't take the last meal on the plane. And then I went straight to Terry Black's and chowed down and had my one meal for the day within like a, a long extended day because of the six hour time difference. Whereas this one guy who's overweight next to me on the plane, he was having like some grapes, some fruit, something like constantly. Not that that's the case with everyone, but I believe generally the case with someone who's overweight is that they are constantly craving energy. And so there's this, I can say, almost unkind attitude towards people who are overweight, or I should say it's more just lacking knowledge that they just lack self-control. And I'm sure a lot of people who are overweight hate themselves for this because they feel like they lack self-control and they're responsible, but that's not the case. It's similar to where I was as well. Um, it's a fundamental, and this was Dr. Cruz's sort of thinking when he was first diving into this as an obese, you know, 360-pound neurosurgeon who couldn't figure out why he was so messed up. He had been doing night shifts for the prior 13 years, which we'll get into how that was sort of the cause. But, but basically, there's something going wrong in the person's brain in the accounting centers for all the energy, you know? And so this dude next to me, it's like he eats that sugar-based food. And then, you know, insulin spikes, stores the, the, the fat, but then instead of being able to go in and tap into the fat and burn the fat, which was also my issue, unable to do that really well, although I was super skinny, I was on the other side of the spectrum, he just needs to consume sugar again. So it's like- Insulin it, drops, blood sugar. Exactly. Two, three hours later, you're hungry for carbohydrates. Hungry again. again. So it's just packing the fat on. So that's one huge- issue that's and is happening. And this leptin reset? Uh, is it a video that Dr. Cruz did? It's blog. Okay. Well, we'll yeah. link to that in the yeah, show notes. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I think, I think certainly we've covered a lot here uh, on this show already about diet and nutrition. And I think it's for sure one of the cornerstone pieces. What fascinates me about Dr. Cruz and yourself is the fact that this, uh, this other picture around light and circadian rhythm. So let's get into what's happening with artificial lighting, uh, you know, especially with, you know, incandescent bulbs and fluorescent light bulbs, yeah. things of that nature versus when we get the full spectrum light from the sun. This is really fun. So can I tell you, can I, can I give a story? Mm -hmm. So to me, um, when we're looking at the diseases we're facing today, it's really handy to look at what is disease, you know, like get the definitions clear. It's just in logic, you know, the, the discipline of logic, you have to, define your premises and define your terms. And so for me, disease is failure of the body to carry out its functions properly. There's another actual dictionary definition, but to me that the illness within the body, it results from not carrying out the functions properly. And so then we would need to define what is a living organism and what are the functions that it needs to be carrying out essentially at the most basic level. I don't, I think it's kind of like, if we don't understand how life works, we can't really understand disease because it's a fundamental malfunctioning of our systems. And so we're always at the higher levels now, like trying to, you know, fix the symptoms and try to have some level of understanding. But at least for me as a curious, you know, 15, 16 year old at the time, the current explanations were very inadequate. And that's when Dr. Cruz focusing on his, the thing he would always repeat was like, does the mitochondria take in proteins, carbs, and fats or electrons and protons, you know, and it's, it's the latter. So it was like, hmm, maybe it's not just about the food. Maybe it's, there's some other pieces involved. It was a simple analogy to make the case. 
So looking at how life works, are you familiar with like the origin of life story to some extent? Give it, give it to me here. Anyhow, okay. So basically the, the leading theory, uh, there's others, but this one is the one that makes by far the most sense. There's these vents at the bottom of the ocean. There's two types. One's called black smokers, which they think is where life came. It's super, they're super energetic and powerful. That's not where life began based on the research. It's at these more quiet alkaline hydrothermal vents. What alkaline refers to is this fluid that's seeping up and it's being heated and basically charged up by the hot magma under the earth's surface. So it's, it's basically fluid uh, coming up, going through these vents. And then the vent is porous. So it's, it's made of minerals and rocks, but there's billions of tiny little pores. And so there's seawater also where the, this alkaline water or fluid from inside the earth is meeting the seawater. And then the water from the sea is filling into these pores and water from the, the earth, the fluid is, is filling into these pores. And so what's happening because one is more alkaline and the ocean water is more acidic, that just means there's a difference in the pH. So the amount of protons basically. And so that difference in protons is called like a proton gradient. There's more on one place and less on the other. And just for example, if you have, I use the analogy of people packed really tight in a room and then there's an empty room next to it. If the room was so packed in here that we were all sweating and everything, we would want to dissipate into the other room. And that's how molecules are. If they have the same charge, they want to, you know, dissipate. So these proton gradients, there's more on one side of pore, less on another. There's potential energy because there's more on one side and less and they want to move, but they can't. And so basically that potential energy based on the research, and they've even done this on like a benchtop reactor in a lab using this proton gradient, it just started naturally catalyzing the reaction between carbons and hydrogens that were present in that vent, which essentially were the first organic molecules that ever came together, basically carbon hydrogen based molecules. And so eventually over time, these sort of structured themselves based on what was like energetically favorable into these protocells. But the protocells were dependent on the energy which was provided by the constant flow of this alkaline fluid pushed by the infrared light, the, the heat of the magma in the earth combining, or I guess coming across the ocean water. And that was like, we could call the spark of life because there's a gradient energy and it started these cells. And eventually... The coolest part was that the cells sort of developed autonomy. They developed the ability with that initial spark to move out into the world and begin to do what they had been doing, but by basically maintaining the spark themselves. So basically having their own proton gradient that the cell itself uses. And so then the cell can go on and basically make a living. And so what life from there on became is like an investor. That's the best analogy. Um, Life takes a little input of energy and then breaks molecules out of their present configurations, allowing them to react with new molecules where they're more satisfied. In other words, it's like a lower energy state when they're reacted together, when they're, once they're bound. But in the process of them coming together, it is releasing a lot of energy and life uses that to further its spark essentially to continue going on and it just kind of goes on. The best analogy for that is fire. So if you think about fire, I always was fascinated by fire. These little fascinations of mine as a kid all sort of came together with these understandings. So it's fascinating how fire works. There's always a hydrogen-based fuel source, leaves, wood, paper, petrol, something like that, gasoline. And the hydrogens are bound to carbons 
And there's energy in the electrons that are binding the carbons and the hydrogens, which came from the sun, whether it's fresh from like a tree or from fossil fuels from literally millions of years ago, there's still sunlight energy in those bonds. And so what happens if you use a spark, if you apply a spark to those, to that substrate, I guess, um, in the presence of oxygen, that spark is enough energy to break a couple of hydrogens free from whatever they're the, the, the carbons they're bound to, no matter what form it is. And for example, if you consider trying to light a log on fire with a single spark versus a single leaf, it would be easier for the single leaf because it's less tightly wound up. Like in a log, it's tight cellulose. In a leaf, it's also cellulose, but it's less tightly wound and you can snap it with your hands. So the spark breaks the hydrogens free and then the hydrogens begin to react with oxygen in the air to make water because they're satisfied. And that releases the energy stored in the electrons that were binding the hydrogen and the carbon together because the hydrogen would rather be with the oxygen, except when there's energy to excite it, to bind it with carbon. That's how like life and plants and trees build themselves. So no energy, hydrogen and oxygen are buddies and they make water and most of the world is covered in it. But if there's light, it can actually increase the energy of the hydrogen's electrons. So it's satisfied with carbon. But what this basically means is hydrogens break free, react with oxygen, and that releases a bunch of energy. And so you don't need a spark anymore. You only need one spark because each time that energy is released, it's the new spark for the reaction to continue. So that's why, for example, I was living in Malibu like last fall and last year. And there was one day I was in San Diego and I was like going back and someone's like, dude, are you okay? I was like, what's going on? I look it up. It's like Malibu's on fire. I can't mm -hmm. go back. Um, that was interesting because I had to go to Mexico the, the following Monday. It was like Labor Day weekend or some we President's Day weekend or something. So I like basically had to, I had to vend Cancun and my passport was trapped in the wildfire. It was like a no-go zone. You know, it was like the whole PCH, <laughs> four lanes southbound, yeah, five hours. That. You were? Yeah, no fun. <laughs> so anyway, I figured out in case anyone ever needs to go to Cancun from LA without a passport, you can cross the border into Tijuana oftentimes without even being asked for anything and then just take a domestic flight anywhere in, in Mexico. It was pretty cool. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. I made it. I had to get an emergency passport to come back, but it was dope. <laughs> I was like, I lost my passport. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's basically what life is doing. Just like a spark, it, 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 there's the, the energetic opportunity, which is present, but we basically spark molecules. You and I do it, like for example, when I'm drinking this shake, I'm taking actual like energy right now, just a little bit to put it down my throat. But then from there, and the body uses energy, you know, in the mitochondria, which we'll get to, to break the, I guess in this, is it mostly fat-based, the coconut cream? Fat and a little bit of berries, A little yeah. bit of berries. So the sugars will probably burn first, but either way, we're gonna input energy, break them down. So basically break the sugar, break the hydrogens off through the glycolysis and then through the Krebs cycle in the mitochondria. And then we're going to end up with just the hydrogens, whether it's from the fat or from the carbs. And then the hydrogens are going to basically plop their electrons onto the electron transport chain. And the electrons are basically being sucked towards oxygen, just like the fire, but it's a controlled fire that's happening in us. So there's oxygen, you know, and we're breathing all the time. And I didn't, I was also fascinated. Like I never knew why we breathe all the time. But then I learned it's just because the mitochondria need oxygen to burn our fuel to make ATP. So there's the oxygen sucking the electrons from the hydrogen. And every time the electrons, instead of going straight and just releasing all the energy and losing it, we kind of like, we funnel out every single last drop of energy we can seal off of the electrons. So every time the electrons hop from one comp, one protein to a next on this electron transport chain in the mitochondria, what we do is we take protons, hydrogen uh, atoms, 
that are in the center of the mitochondria because it's like there's an outer membrane in the mitochondria, then an inner membrane, and then there's a central space and there's protons in here. And we basically, electrons jump across this chain and then as the energy is sucked off, that energy is used to pump these protons from low concentration to a higher concentration in the intermembrane space. And so what we're doing in our mitochondria is recreating that original proton gradient from the vents at the bottom of the ocean, which all light, it's the, one of the four things that's common to all life is the use of proton gradients to generate energy. It's called chemiosmosis. But so now that there's more protons in this intermembrane space, they want to flow back down just like people packed in a room. So what did life do? Well, at least the mitochondria, which evolved into with a union, like an alliance with another cell allowed to evolve complex life. What we did is we in installed a electric revolving door called ATP synthase, which means that all the people in this room who want to leave, you can leave, but you have to go through the electric revolving door and push it and basically give us energy. And so we pump all the protons into this tight space and we let them go back down where they want to go down the gradient, but they have to go through the ATP synthase and the flow of positively charged protocols, just proto <laughs> I'm losing my brain, <laughs> particles um, is the same as the flow of negatively charged particles like electrons, it's electricity, it's protonicity, it flows through there, makes the ATPA spin. And then that basically gives us ADP and keeps us alive. And so the better we can do that, the better we're going to function and live. And the worse we do that, the more problems that we're essentially going to have. So that's the yeah, basics I, of I, mitochondrial function in life. But we'll we'll <laughs> get was, to how it's applicable to people. <laughs> that was super deep. That was probably deeper than, I don't know, I've had like Dr. Dominic D'Agostino on and different people. And I don't think we've gotten that, that far in the woods. Um, so I appreciate you for still with us. Uh, one of the things I want to get to oh, here they'll be with us. <laughs> is, is um, you know, with regard to mitochondrial health in general, I think a lot of people are now coming to realize just how important they are in reducing all-cause all mortality. And a lot of things that affect that, whether it be sauna or cold tubs, fasting, all have a positive influence on mitochondrial function, yep. and resetting the body. All those things lower all-cause all mortality. Yes, so let I mean let's let's talk about that. This what is are the a great ways? Question. What are the what are the brass tacks ways we improve mitochondrial yeah. function? So you see, I'm evading your original question of light because we're slowly getting there. Because that was the question. Trust me, <laughs> a lot I got of teaser it. Trailers yeah, here. yeah, yeah, totally. So light, but so basically, um, I, the the best part of this is that the story continues. So what happened was, <laughs> and trust me, I'll get I'll get it right for you. So basically. The way we went from these single-celled tiny organisms to the multi super complex organisms was because two of these primitive cells that left these vents, which used proton gradients across membranes, decided to make an alliance. One would basically be structure and function, and the other would be energy generation. The energy generation is the mitochondria. And what the mitochondria did, they used to have like a full genome, let's say a thousand genes, cut it down to 13 genes. So now the most energy expensive process in a living organism, which is the maintenance and expression of a genome in the form of proteins, is now reduced like 90 something percent in every single mitochondria. And because what they realize is they, you only need one set of genes in the cell and they can just copy it across every other one. For example, it's like having a thousand kids in a room or a hundred kids in a room all doing the same task when you could just have the smartest kid do it and then just copy it across the rest. And that's sort of the idea. So that's what life did. And that's why all of our genes, except a few, are all concentrated now in the nucleus of our cell. That's like the, the host, you could almost say the slave master, 
is the one that manages the, the thinking part of things and also getting nutrients. And the mitochondria are like, dope, we don't have to go out and forage and get all the nutrients anymore. Like someone's just taking care of us and all we have to do is make energy. We have more than enough for ourselves and all the leftovers go to the boss. And that's basically what happened. And so that, let's say, merger alliance allowed life to get mega, mega complex. In other words, we went from single cells that are all over this table that we literally can't even see we're so much bigger than them to an organism that's composed of trillions of cells, which are each of our hundred trillion human cells has between hundreds and a thousand mitochondria. So like we are made of quintillions of basically little bacteria. We're like a bacterial super colony. So getting to the question of all cause mortality, how does it relate? Well, there is, the, the key is that for people to grasp is that our function, like my human brain, high level functioning, the human heart, all of the organs are based on mitochondria generating energy. You know, if we didn't have mitochondria, we wouldn't have been able to be complex. And if, if for any reason mitochondrial function declines, it's kind of like if a government's budget was cut by 5%, like it seems like only 5%, like 5%, like you're gonna be laying off a lot of people and in the body, no bueno. So there's a researcher from Philly named Dr. Douglas Wallace. Are you familiar with him? Only from hearing him, you talk about him. So he basically showed in his work on mitochondria over the last decades that although he started studying rare mitochondrial diseases, he was looking at the modern epidemic of obesity, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, autism, all this stuff, depression, anxiety, and wondering like maybe there's a mitochondrial link. So they started studying it a couple years ago, decade plus ago now, and probably before I was even born. And honestly, and what they found was that all of the chronic diseases that Western medicine hasn't been able to solve studying the genome and trying to use drugs to solve, the mitochondria are failing. So in Alzheimer's, the mitochondria in the brain are failing. In heart disease, the mitochondria in the heart are failing, or at least functioning 70% as opposed to 100%. You know, um, we can get away with functioning at a lower percentage. I mean, I would presume that the average person is maybe like, 50, 60% of what we could be, if not less, but we're still like not diseased, you know, but we're getting to a point where we're way below that. And so all these modern diseases have been definitively, definitively proven by someone who's now winning like awards for his research and his lab and everything that they're mitochondrial in origin. So as it relates to all the stuff you've just mentioned that improves all cause mortality or reduces all cause mortality, I should say. All of these things are acting on improving mitochondrial function. And so in this way, it's like, you know, people like to follow the cliche, like nothing works for everyone or, you know, there's no one size fits all approach. But like, actually, if you improve the function of the mitochondria, like everything works better because everything is powered by energy. It's kind of like if you give a business more money to carry it, like a successful business, more money. It's already thriving, put more money in there. Like it's just going to get better, you know? Um, and that's kind of how it is throughout our body. So yeah, these things all improve mitochondrial function. <laughs> and that kind of gets back to the light question. We can talk about how. All right, guys, quick break to tell you about an amazing product called Molecule. This was developed by a doctor in South Florida, Dr. Goswami, who had a son that suffered from asthma and felt really pissed off the fact that his son was not getting better using HEPA filtration, decided he'd go out and do something better. And they're using a product now, they've created this, that uses something called PICO technology. That's photoelectrochemical oxidation. It actually destroys harmful pollutants. 
And this is a key piece here. Molecules technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience. Air purification for the whole home. Molecule now offers a breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products providing a solution for the entire home when it comes to air purification. Whether you need the Molecule Air for large rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms, you can now choose the units that best fit your space or create a bundle to provide an air purification solution for your entire home. For 10% off your first air purifier order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter Kyle at checkout. That's Molecule.com and enter Kyle at checkout for 10% off. And now back to the show. Yeah, let's let's talk about light because obviously we're we're we haven't biohacked this office. We're we're in uh you know, we're indoors. We've got windows here, but we, we can talk about how the, the window pane affects natural sunlight. And then we can look at, you know, all the different lights that, that we're exposed to. I'm more concerned day. about the gym, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about the let's talk about light. Let's just dive into that and how it affects us. And something, you know, that you were talking about with Luke that really fascinated with me was how much blood passes through the optic nerve. And yeah. How, the, how eyes, important yeah. that is, yeah, through the eyes. Yeah. Um, so at some point in the whole evolutionary scale. Mitochondria may not have started off as light-based organisms, but they evolved into being powered by light. So for example, sunlight affects light in general, but sunlight being the only natural form of light besides firelight, moonlight, starlight, and lightning flashes before 1879 when we had the light bulb, you know, moonlight uh, we can almost discount. It has an impact for sure. And the moon's gravity has an impact. So anyone who's into that stuff, I'm not discounting it. It's very important. But as far as like affecting our light systems in our body, it's very minimal. For example, the bright sun on a sunny summer day, like today, is between 50 and 100,000 lux of intensity. And so our eyes adjust. So it doesn't seem like it's crazy strong. But moonlight, like a full moon is half of one lux. So just that's a 100,000 fold difference from 50,000 to half of a lux. So it doesn't affect our systems very tremendously, nor does, neither does um, a flash of lightning. It's tiny. Starlight, extremely dim, of course. And then fire is based on red, infrared, and yellow and orange frequencies. It doesn't have, it doesn't have blue. It doesn't have the higher energy ultraviolet frequencies because when the, that light was taken in by the plant, it was basically slowed down and kept in bonds. And it's more in the form of this infrared and heat when we burn it out, when we release it through the reaction we talked about. So we didn't have any light besides sunlight powering us all this time. It's, it's just something I mention. I say this because it's easy for one to realize like, oh, we have all these bulbs to think that light, when someone thinks light, it's easy to think light bulb first, but really like light is sunlight essentially, as far as life ex- is concerned. Yeah. It's like you were born now with cell phones. We assume exactly. Here, you know, it's like normal, but it's really not normal yeah. artificial light as far as life goes. So in the mitochondria, one of the ways that light affects us directly is uh, by the red frequencies work on these proteins in that electron chain where I was describing the electrons hop across and basically help the electrons to move a lot more efficiently. So have you worked with like Juve, for example, red light yeah. panels? Yeah, I, I had those guys on the show, uh, Scott Nelson, and I think one other one, and then we, we've got an elite system at the house, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. So that is amazing, and they're always talking about the mitochondrial benefits because their the research is clear. These proteins in the mitochondrial electron transport chain, which we basically use as our main generator, is 
they absorb specific frequencies of red light, red and infrared light, and that optimizes basically energy generation. There's even studies that show that without food consumption, we can still generate ATP just with the energy coming from red and infrared light. Now, is that like, uh, what is that? Eating, eating the sun? Essentially, yes. That, that was that documentary on Netflix, Ryan? Did you see that? Eating the sun? Yeah, so I, we're not, I definitely want to get into that too, like looking at, I, I don't recommend it's people totally give up possible. food entirely and just fast for the rest of their lives eating it's, the sun. I think it's possible from it, what it, I've learned. It might be possible, but I think that, you know, I don't know. It's, not that it's desirable. Pe- I'm not yeah, saying I want to, I like ex- my food. People are extreme as fuck. So it's like you get hooked on this one new thing and there's a benefit. But I I think the, I don't want to, I don't want to take too much of this, this time for me to input my own two cents, but Please I just want to say that I think the key here is we outline some of these things is that if we can take and be mindful of a bit around diet and a bit around light and a bit around movement and a bit around temperature extremes, I think all those things will get us a very good part of the way in healing our body and getting optimal mitochondrial function without saying, absolutely, I'll never eat carbs again, or I'm going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights or any of this shit, you know, just, just really like playing that, that, uh, that idea I want to reiterate is that as we learn about these things, we dive into them and they're good. And, and even today, I tried to get up with my son and watch the sunrise for the first 20 minutes where I That's can actually epic. stare at the fucking sun. That's really But best. we had cloud coverage, so I missed out. Still still it was did. good to get outside. But yeah, the clouds, <laughs> clouds prevented us. Yeah, yeah. I was at Barton Springs. I got like 10 minutes because the clouds did take up the, the nice. mass portion of the horizon. So the analogy from my story that comes into the picture in regards to what you've just said, that everyone should have some pieces of everything, it is important, you know, to not just focus on one thing per se. But the reason light is so important to me is that the mitochondria, you know, these engines that now they generate our energy, they keep us alive. If we stop breathing, you know, if someone wants to test it, don't breathe for five minutes, you're, you're out, you know, or cyanide, the poison that captured soldiers or spies would use to eat and they die immediately. It just immediately, it's like the anti-red light panel. It just stops the flow of electrons at cytochrome C oxidase, which is what one of those proteins. And so we die immediately when we take cyanide for that reason, because the, the proton gradient collapses and life is over and you can't spark it back, generally speaking. So this is our engine. And even Dr. Wallace, he's now shown that when the engines are reduced, their functions reduced, disease is the manifestation, death is the ultimate result. So as these things are engines, it's handy to compare them like a car engine. They both, just like a car, they both burn hydrogen-based fuel source with oxygen to create basically a push to do work, to do stuff. So in a car, there's you know the fuel going in, but then there's the ignition system and the spark plugs that basically ignite the gas and make the pistons fire as a result. If the, if the spark plugs in that engine are worn down or faulty, that's going to lead to misfiring in the car, uh, inability to accelerate, or maybe the engine won't start at all. So if we were to put premium fuel into that engine or fuel additives, it's not going to solve the broken spark plugs, the, fa- the failures in the ignition system, because it's not addressing that issue, which is, again, more holistic and bigger picture than just the fuel going into the engine. But it turns out it's the same in our body. So if we have a an altered ignition system, which is essentially those proteins in the mitochondria, and they're affected by light, 
if that's altered in any way, there's other factors we'll talk about as well re- relating to melatonin and its, its role in repairing these when we're not exposed to bright light at night. But if there's issues in the ignition system in the mitochondria, putting in premium fuel or even fuel additives, so like vitamins into the body, it is never addressing the root issue of the damaged ignition system, which in the body is caused by light, improved and you know altered by light not by the fuel going in. So someone could, like I wasn't, for example, you know, spending lots of money, it was my parents' money in this case, on vitamins and supplements. I never felt any, almost any effect from them. Doesn't mean they can't be, they won't have effects when used properly because I know you guys have lots of ones that well-tested and they're in certain contexts, but I was kind of just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at, at the issues, hoping they would get better. And then it's the same thing with the food too. It's like, you could be spending tons of money on diet but if the engine's not burning through it well, you could still have diseases and they're not related to the food. And, and the food isn't going to fix the ignition system. That's why the, con- that's like the key analogy I always give because that's why the conversation is, has to, it has to be wholesome, you know, it has to have all the angles. So yes, you know, people should focus on also temperature therapy that also improves the mitochondria, cold exposure and, and diet. But to miss the factor that is the main driver of the ignition system in the mitochondria, and I believe like the, the main driver in the modern disease epidemic, the alteration in light, particularly the move to an indoor lifestyle, you know, absence of sunlight, too much artificial light, only natural light coming behind glass, which is no longer natural light. That is the issue. And and no amount of focus on food alone will solve it or on temperature therapy per so se. So there's, there's almost a hierarchy mm-hmm. to the systems that we can focus on. So we've, we've, I would we say for so. sure can say that light is a huge, if you look at, I mean, one of the ways I try to picture these things is that you try to understand, and I know you get into this with diet related with Luke, where you talk about Weston A. Price's I work like and fuel by the equator. Obviously, you're going to have smaller prey like fish and fowl and a lot more carbohydrates readily available if you move closer to the poles. Like a lot of people who immigrated here from Northern Europe, myself included, then you would have access to bigger game, cattle, buffalo, bison, and uh, you'd only have carbs seasonally, right? Mm-hmm. So there are factors like that. Uh, I like to think of, you know, and a lot of this comes from Paul Cech, who learned a lot from Weston A. Price, but this idea that think of a world without refrigeration. Think of a world pre-shipping where you couldn't get bananas 24-7 and berries Mm -hmm. from Mexico 24-7. You had shit that was in season. And another way you can look at that is if you rewind the clock, like you've just mentioned, past 1872 or whatever the fucking date is, to a time where we only had candles, fire, and sunlight, then you have to understand that the that the era we're living in right now, it is one giant test. It's never been done before. It is done for the first time, and we're experimenting on ourselves in a myriad of fucking ways. But now we know the importance of light. So let's talk That's about awesome. how we optimize that. Yeah, I gotta I gotta throw two things in there. One, it's interesting when, for example, the mitochondria are amazing. They kept some of their genes, like. For example, if something goes wrong in in a power plant, they have a wiring diagram there. The blueprint, which is like the main genome, might be at the mayor's office, but the wiring diagram stays at the power plant in case of emergency. So the mitochondria all do maintain 13 genes, all of which are inherited from our mothers. So men, sadly, can only inha- we can only pass across half of a genome, but women pass across all of life. They pass the other half of the genome and the engines that fuel life. It's fascinating. So you know, that's why actually we have two sexes. That's another fascinating thing that's less well known is that the reason there's men and women is because there had to be one aspect of the species, or I should say 
of multicellular life based on mitochondria, which is everything beyond archaea and bacteria. There had to be one for carrying down mitochondria and the other that would splice the genome every generation. And of course that evolved in many, you know, the women who carry the mitochondria, they have the baby now. So that evolved in the human case to be the man is more protecting, foraging. But the woman, women do pass on life. It's fascinating. Um, so the mitochondria for these reasons have the ability to adapt much faster to altered environmental signals than the nuclear genome. Because in a cell, again, there's nearly a thousand mitochondria, depending on nerve cells have more, heart cells have more, other cells have fewer, muscles will have more because they require more energy. So when the Sherpas, for example, people went to the tops of the Himalayan mountains, they had half of as much oxygen, for example. You know, the percentage is the same, but the air density is way lower. And so the mitochondria, which generates energy with uh, oxygen, is like freaking out. And so what happens is that decrease in energy production leads to an increase in reactive oxygen species. This is how it works in short. Decrease energy production, increase in reactive oxygen species, free radicals, which cause the mitochondrial DNA to mutate those 13 genes, which is an attempt to find a solution to an altered environment. So what's happening today is we're living indoors under blue light, which lacks the full spectrum of infrared, red, ultraviolet, and so on. So when you're behind glass or under artificial lights, there's more blue, less red. And the thing is, the blue creates a stress signal in the brain to wake us up and to keep us kicking. And so, for example, these lights aren't, this one, these lights are cooler, these ones are warmer. But light with more blue, it's like, it's a trick to keep the brain on. It's, it's a trick made by men to turn our brain on, by humans, to turn the brain on. But the thing is, all of evolution, when the brain was on and the body was running under the, the stimulus of blue light, there was always red light and infrared light present to power those proteins in the mitochondria to allow things to, to mm. you know, it was like we always expected blue lights present. Okay, there's red light too because that's going to make the mitochondria work better. In other words, the red light panel that the Juve has, for example, it's not like it's a benefit. It's like we're evolved to always have the full spectrum of red light on our body, our eyes and our skin outdoors anytime we're conscious and waking. So it's not like it's getting us beyond where we are, it's like getting us back to where we should be. Although the Jew is much more energy dense in the tight space, um, depending, I mean, compared to sunrise, it's a bit stronger because it's right next to you, but compared to midday sun, it's not substantially stronger. But so our indoor lifestyle, less, less red light, more blue light, that's decreasing mitochondrial energy production, just like less oxygen for the Sherpas. Looking so up spark increase, exactly, exactly. So more reactive oxygen species because our energy generation is lower, more reactive oxygen species. And there's tons of studies showing that just blue light alone increases ROS and free radicals and so on in the mitochondria. So increase free radicals, decrease energy production coming first. That's causing the same thing that happened for the evolution, the mutation for people to live in the Himalayas with less oxygen and still be like total beasts. Those people are like but beasts. But the Sherpas had a benefit there. It was almost like weight training. You know, you have you have uh, altitude. Um, the ability to acclimate to altitude is going to change that for the better as opposed to us yeah. staying indoors all day long. It's not changing exactly. for the better. Well, they also have more UV light from the sun, which sort of helps to compensate. They have okay. really dark skin. So there is, it is better. It is, it works. You know, they, they're able to adapt because there's energy present in the environment that, they can take advantage of, but we're just reducing energy. And so we're getting the same lowered energy, increased reactive oxygen species. Dr. Wallace talks about this all the time. And then that's mutating our mitochondrial genes. And so his work to be a little more in depth, it's not just mitochondrial dysfunction leads to these disease. It's percentage of mutation in the mitochondrial genes, meaning the mitochondria, those the 
basically the spark plugs, they aren't expressed properly anymore. And it's, again, it's an attempt to solve a problem, not necessarily like a problem in and of itself. And so we're altering our energy. It's like, think of it this way, the human brain and all of our systems evolved with a hundred units of energy required to get to this complexity. Do I think that if humans had stayed in that area or if the environment had allowed it, maybe it shifted, we could have probably kept evolving to some level. But since we've left, I think we've definitely devolved. And there's studies showing that the human brain has, you know, shrunk over generations but since the Cro-Magnon, you know, the Mediterranean European humans. But we are having less energy, so we're, we're going to devolve over time. Because, again, you can't power a system that requires those 100 units with 50 units and expect it to still function like the same. You know, it's the same if your phone or if you have a system, something that requires a lot of energy – you cut it in half, it's like, it isn't going to run Yeah, that's something, something I always notice is that, you know, obviously I have a, a desk job here and we podcast indoors for sound purposes for the most part. Um, but if I'm grinding through work and I get emails and shit, I'm on my computer screen and there's big, fast fluorescent bulbs over my head. One of the ways, one of the easiest ways that I can get a, a key bump of energy is just to go outside with my shoes off and do a one mile walk with my shirt off. You know, our skin is a fucking giant solar panel. Let me soak in some sun. Let me connect my it. feet to the earth, even on a sidewalk, still getting some grounding in. And I come back in after 20 minutes and I'm fucking ready to go. I mm-hmm. don't need another shot of caffeine or anything like that. Just a one mile walk and I'm ready to go. I can't drink coffee. It shorts me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you have know. enough. I'm, I'm back and forth on that. We go decaf for like a month straight <laughs> and then we jump back on the bandwagon with, with fully caffeinated. But yeah. Um, you know, and then even with that, obviously, we there is an energy crisis. Obviously, it why do you think fucking? Crisis. Why do you think five-hour energy and and uh, all these energy drinks bl- have blown up and taken over a lot of marketing? You've got uh, you know gamers that are drinking Mountain Dew after Mountain Dew. You've there got you go. All these different things: cigarettes, that, nicotine, yeah. caffeine. It's the same. It, it kind of kicks up the mitochondria briefly, but you so, don't have the power behind it. So, and I and I wonder, obviously, if I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing good and I'm getting red light therapy from the juve. I'm getting outside often. I'm doing cold therapy and sauna and I'm working out and I'm eating a diet that's specific for me during that time of year. Um, those other substances can have a benefit without just relying on them like a crutch, right? Like yeah. one cup of coffee feels good to me. It doesn't yeah. feel like, fuck, I need a whole pot. Totally. One cup isn't doing and anything. I, I drink yerba mate because coffee itself, I still have sensitivities that I'm working on food sensitivity. Okay. So the nut, the seed coffee itself does affect me. But the caffeine, a little bit like yerba mate without the, the coffee thing, that um, is, is pretty good. And I, I do feel sharp. I don't want to become dependent on it, of course. And if I ever notice, like, I'm craving it, I'm like, oh, gosh. But Time for, for example, the ancient, <laughs> yeah, the Ecuadorians, I mean, I figure you've been down to Ecuador, Peru, from what you guys have talked mm-hmm. about. I was there doing um, a ceremony once with not, I should know this, San Pedro, the, um, yeah. Yeah. The keys Machuma. to heaven. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, Exactly. Were you in had the keys to heaven. I was in keto. Okay. So it was very fortunate circumstance, which we could talk about later. But anyhow, um, they they used tobacco. It was like a sacred sacred plant. Mm-hmm. So how could tobacco go from being a sacred plant that you know you would figure they would have observed that it caused them like cancers and lung issues, if because they were using it for so long? But it was like a sacred plant that brought healing to some extent. So I'm not saying we should all smoke tobacco, and in the modern world. Definitely not. Well, this stuff, Mapacho Nicotina Rustica, contains 18 to 20 times more nicotine than North American tobacco. There's also zero additives. It's 100% organic, mm-hmm. and it's grown in the wild. Uh, and I've, you know, I had the same thought process when I traveled down there to do ayahuasca for the first time. 
was seeing that they were using these, you know, rolled tobaccos. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. We're going to smoke cigarettes I during the ceremony? Exactly. And, and that was the whole thing. So with Mapacho, they explained the difference. Um, many indigenous cultures think of this as like the great bridge, the communicator plant that opens up mm-hmm. your ability to communicate outside yourself uh, in the spirit world if you've seen young guns. But, um, you know, for me, I had to get over that. And uh, one of the things that happened was I was at this, uh, this what do they call it? It's in fucking Panama each year. I went with my dad. It's like the tribal gathering. And it's all these other indigenous cultures that bring their own medicines. And you get to partake in, in a myriad of things you might find useful for, for altered states of consciousness. And I met this guy who was 95 years old. And he's walking around. He's got a big sheeting grin perfect teeth reminded me of somebody out of a Weston A. Price photo. And he mm-hmm. had been working with Mapacho since he was five there years old Thank for you. 90 years. And much like Weston A. Price describes, their tribe didn't have a word for cancer because it didn't exactly. exist. They don't have a word for heart disease because it didn't exist. And That's... they don't have fucking toothbrushes and they have perfect teeth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like yes. they're eating a diet that's in accordance with their body. They're in direct and... sunlight all fucking day long or under the tree canopies. They're getting full of nature. Right. Yes, I'm. I'm loving what you're saying because I was going to, for example, mention people from the Mediterranean, super centenarians. They smoke cigarettes and drink their whole life, and they still live past a hundred. Certain of these super centenarians, the oldest person ever to live, I believe, Jean Calmont, she smoked cigarettes her whole life. I believe I could be wrong about that, but there are several other of the super centenarians who smoked cigarettes their whole life. So, not that that's good. I'm not advocating that, of course, but clearly there's other factors involved. You know. So that's one thing. And next, you touched about the human being a solar panel. We didn't get into this much. And if we if we were to go through all the steps of the light diet, we would. But I believe, based on the research, that the human evolving from the ape, one of the key pieces was the loss of hair so that our skin could become a solar panel because we're the only mammal with our skin fully exposed. And we have these amazing mechanisms where when UV light hits the skin, this is also part of the reason sun doesn't cause skin cancer. When UV light hits the skin, it breaks down the keratinocytes, the cells at the top, scatters their DNA, which is the ultimate absorber of UV light, which is brings me to the next point, which we'll get into, which is I think you'll really like about the spirit and how we are a soul. But basically, UV light breaks apart the keratinocytes, scatters the DNA, and when DNA absorbs or takes UV light, it takes it from UV, super high energy and potentially damaging, to red. It re-emits it as red and infrared. So now it's super beneficial to the body. So that's the ultimate sunscreen. We're, just, we're literally designed to have that. Like we have a system to just turn all the sunlight into basically red light. And we get a little of the UV to power certain things like vitamin D synthesis and whatnot. But so we're designed for the sun. We're, we're the, the solar ape, the solar ape. And we were eating seafood, the omega-3 we put into our eye. The retina has more than anywhere in the body and skin. Very likely based on the research because DHA has the ability when light hits it, because it has so many electrons to cause a flow, basically creating an electric current. So it's like photoelectric, essentially light hits it and it creates an electric current that the body can use more easily, like the impulses for vision, for example. So we are like designed to be a solar being as humans. And I do believe that that's what part of what powered the human brain to be able to become such a complex system. And so just by being living an indoor lifestyle where I believe truly reducing our consciousness and that gets to the third thing that I just am so fascinated you're bringing up, spirit and so on. Well, this is a little known fact that I may or may not have mentioned on the Luke Story podcast, but in the early 1900s, there were researchers studying uh, cells and light in cells. 
And one guy discovered that the stimulus for mitosis of cells, the division of cells, was little pulses the cells make of ultraviolet light. So if the sun causes cancer, first of all, if ultraviolet light, the theory goes, causes cancer, why would it be that our cells are using it for the most fundamental process that's going on all the time, mitosis? So cells communicate with extreme low frequency ultraviolet light. Other fascinating things that they discovered, him and his predecessors researching these biophotons, so photons emitted by an organism, was that healthy cells retain light very well and unhealthy cells leak light more. So a cell that's stressed leaks light and it also has less coherence in its light with the way they would be able to image with these photomultipliers, super sensitive devices, because these lights tiny amounts. The most fascinating thing I read in this textbook about this stuff was that they found that when an organism died, it emitted light, the same light that it was leaking if it was sick, retaining if it was healthy. Once an organism dies and that proton gradient in the mitochondria collapses, we can't carry out our functions anymore. We leak light for 18 hours. So and that, that was actually found in these organisms. I don't believe they were testing dead humans, they may have been though, because you know, once someone's dead, you can test them if they're open to it. But animals and so on were leaking light. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what the soul is, you know, this thing that leaves the body and all these ancient traditions that don't even, it isn't even a question as to whether or not we have a soul, we are a soul, we're a being of light. It's just like believed and almost known. And the Western research is actually there. So that is a whole different can of worms, like, you know this research implying that we are these electromagnetic organisms and that my heart field is touching your heart field right now. And actually everyone else is on earth because electromagnetic fields travel to infinite distances. So this whole thing led me from being like an atheist when I was younger, just saying like, God, stupid idea, you know, to like, oh, maybe God is sort of man's way of explaining the forces that govern the universe. And we sort of try to wager and bargain with God by saying prayers and all this stuff. It was like, whoa. So <laughs> I've actually since become not only just, I wouldn't say per se religious, but exceptionally spiritual and fascinated by, you know, learning about the Bible and other spiritual traditions, because it's like, we are beings of light and they knew a lot of this stuff. And maybe by practicing certain things that people knew led to good results as a human going through the human experience, maybe we can have benefits. That to me is the most fascinating part of all the light stuff, you know, everything else aside. Another part I thought I would, I really wanted to mention, because I know at least on Aubrey's show, you know, there's lots of talk about sex and all this stuff. Well, like one, when we have sex, all the, a lot of blood, which is like a very highly ch light charged fluid, you know, sunlight, which we haven't gotten into the mechanisms, but hits the skin and essentially um, a release of something called nitric oxide. And that causes the vessels to dilate such that a huge percentage of blood comes into the capillaries in the skin so that UV light can actually reach it. So we actually have mechanisms when we go in the sun, just like leaves on a plant turn towards the light when they are getting some, our blood will come to the surface so we can get ultraviolet light. And we have um, porphyrin pigments. These are pigments that are specifically absorbing ultraviolet light that are on our red blood cells. So these absorb light and it's like, hmm, maybe we are a being of light and maybe UV light isn't so bad for us. We have pigments designed to absorb it. But that means like when people have sex, all the blood flows to, for example, the vagina, penis and so on. And people are like sharing light, literally, you know, it's like sampling light. And if someone is like supercharged and energized, you could probably feel that a lot. And another fascinating thing is the body from the biophoton research. Uh, they showed that the fingertips emit more biophotons than anywhere else. 
same thing the Qigong masters, you know, describe the fingertips emit more qi. So it's probably related, if not the same thing. Um, and the lips too. So it's like, why do people hold hands and kiss on the lips? Like, why don't we rub bellies next to each other or like do this with people we love, <laughs> like rubbing our arms or something? No, like we're sharing, sampling the biophotons because you could get a read of someone's field. It's fascinating. Yeah, I would say. That's super <laughs> I thought you guys would appreciate this being <laughs> the one, yeah. you know, talking about relationships, spirit. The next girl connection. I come across that I want to have sex with, I'm going to ask her if I can share my light with her. Yeah, that would be a very accurate <laughs> way of doing so. So, um, well, let's talk about the eyes because you know we we all right we've we've at least figured out on some level um, if you're still following that there's certain things we have to deal with in the modern world. Uh, if you are required to work indoors like I am, hopefully you can get out for a walk before. Uh, work starts at least to midday and then after work. And I make that like clockwork. Oftentimes, because I have a lot of freedom here, I can walk for fucking hours while I listen to Audible or just hang out in nature. Mm -hmm. And I can do a 10-mile walk if I want to, right? A lot of people don't have Amazing. time for that. So I'm not saying that's the case for everyone. But if we can get outside more often, uh, and I mean not just on the weekends, but more often during our daily routine, uh, maybe we mitigate some of that with a juve light or something similar. And then... Um, but but what what are we going to do about our eyes here? Because there are ways that we can fix that. Um, you have a company that helps with blue light blocking. Mm -hmm. It actually looks really fucking cool. Thanks. Raw, raw Optics <laughs> yeah. is the name of raw, it. Yeah, Raw, the sun god. Yeah. So that, that fuck yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, God, what's that movie with uh, Kurt Russell? Stargate. Yeah, I'm not familiar. About raw. <laughs> it's way, it's probably, you probably weren't born yet. Um, anywho, though, I mean, all that to say, like, if we can... What do we do here? Because we know blue light get, keeps us awake. Are mm -hmm. we supposed to wear blue blockers indoors during the day, even though we want blue light to make us awake? It, yeah, we want blue light from the sun, but from artificial lights, I would wear uh, daytime blue blocking lenses because they filter the blue. It depends. Like these lights, I wouldn't wear them because there's really warm and there's very little blue coming off a bulb like that. Okay. But if, if we were in a room with fluorescent uh, tubes, which mimic, you know, the cool ones, which mimic that, like a hospital... Yeah. I would probably want to wear blue blockers. And another factor <clears throat> that's not present in the sun is there's a flicker from because of, you know, the alternating current power grid because we took, um, I guess we took Tesla's way of doing things rather than whoever the competitor was. But we have this power grid that basically vibrates. Um, it's like 60 hertz in the U.S. So on and off 60 times, so 120 alterations per second. So any light that's powered into that, like these fluorescent tubes they're literally they're not just constantly on they're actually on and off that many times in a second and so that's like a it's a big stressor to the brain that can trigger migraine headaches and all this stuff so that's a main reason i would want to filter blue at least during the day because it's the more energetic part of the spectrum and uh, it's not balanced by the red component in these lights and because it's more energy and it signals so many of these processes via the eye into the hypothalamus which we didn't touch on too much but it's you know yeah the blue light comes in goes through these type of cells called uh, retinal ganglion cells. So they always knew there were rods and cones. But then in the, there was some studies that were showing like there's some effects happening in the brain and the body even when they make an animal blind and the rods and the cones or they're born, they're bred so that the rods and cones don't work. There was still stuff happening hormonally. So they're like there must be a third type of photoreceptor cells controlling this other stuff, which is the key to get is that, as you know, the, the eye isn't just a camera. It's also sort of a clock and a light receptor. It controls our circadian rhythm. So the blue component, the reason there's more concern for me 
is because it controls these other systems like our circadian rhythm and it's that in particular and it's you know signals the creation of more ACTH and cortisol because that wakes us up from the sun in the day but so if we have a light that's flickering going on and off it's sort of like Dr. Cruz says Mike Tyson pounding on your paraventricular nucleus all the time <laughs> and that would probably hurt I mean you've been hit in the head many times can you imagine if what your very sensitive organs in the brain are you know feeling when they're just getting repetitively hit by this blue light which is not only unbalanced but it's also it's, it's not balanced and it's just flickering it's, it's not good so yes that's why we would want to wear blue blockers during the day at night it's more important because that's when we need to preserve our natural melatonin level so as a as a holistic approach the best way you know and this is why i came up with what i call the light diet sort of a compilation of these different researchers and particularly dr cruz's protocols in a way that easily can be applied you know step one is just going to sleep with the sun because then you're not going to be exposed to tons of artificial light at night. But if you are going to stay up because we have society, we have all this stuff, at least use at least use uh, blue blockers. And for example, people can change out the lights in their house so they're warmer like this. This is way better than cool yeah, lights. Yeah, I got a few. LEDs. I, we can link to these in the show notes. I have a few from Good Sense. They're like an amber bulb. There you go. And so we have um, you know reading light, hall light, and a kitchen light that all or the dining room light. Are all these bulbs? They're I think like thirty bucks on Amazon. Again, we'll, we'll link to them. I have no affiliation with these guys, but they're fantastic. So the second the sun goes down, there all the go. other lights in the house are off. Those lights are on as long as we need them. Bear has a little, a little, uh, a really tiny one. I forget the name of it, but um, that's the hall light for him. So when he you know opens his door and comes to crawl into bed with me in the middle of the night, like he does fucking every night, <laughs> he has that little yellow light to help him. That's great. Light. Yeah, um, that's the biggest win because then you're not disrupting the circadian system. That's the benefit. If it was like all light affected the circadian rhythm 100% the same, then we would literally have to be in darkness at night. Otherwise, we're going to have health effects. But because it doesn't, it's specifically that blue range. And the reason being that when the sun comes up, blue is more, it's higher energy. So if you imagine like a pack of wolves running through the forest, the faster wolves might be more prone because there's lots of them to run into trees. The ones just a little bit slower can kind of weave around. That's the same thing with the air molecules. That's why the sky is blue. Because when the sun comes through the atmosphere, the higher energy molecules like the blue and the purple wavelengths are scattered more because they hit the molecules in the air faster and then they're scattered. So the result is a sun that, although the sun is actually white like the stars, the sun appears yellow because when you have white and you remove blue, the complementary color, it appears more yellow. And so, and then all the blue is scattered and therefore the sky is blue which I, again, when I learned this, I was like, is it that simple? But yeah, that's why the sky is blue. And that's also why when the sun comes up in the morning and in the evening, it has to go through a lot more atmosphere to get to us compared to when it's direct. So that's why when the sun comes up, it's more orange or red because there's all the, you know, the UV, there's no UV. That's why you can look at it. It's all filtered out. Um, and the blue is pretty much all filtered out too at those two times. That's why you can stare at it for the exactly. first 30 Exactly, because the minutes. UV's out. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so as it goes up, though, it has to go through less atmosphere. And so that's why, like, if you're closer to the equator or it's more summertime, the sun's going to be in a higher angle of inclination. And it's just, it's so fascinating that just that higher angle of inclination alone is the difference between summer and winter. Just the higher the sun can go and the more of its power can reach the earth, that literally makes the difference between all of the trees and plants and everything being blooming and alive and everyone being happy and energized versus everyone being like cold and dark and still and calm and everything's dead. Just the angle of inclination of the sun and the filtering from the atmosphere. It's fascinating, I would say. 
Um, you know, if we didn't have the atmosphere, we wouldn't exist because, or the magnetic field, which also kind of deflects some of the sun's harmful rays. So yeah, that's why like blue blockers, they have a night ones are either orange or reddish orange or red. It's sort of like mimicking basically the setting sun that doesn't disrupt the circadian rhythm. Whereas when it's coming up in the morning, the blue is increasing more than almost any other color that, that will disrupt the system if we have it at night. But yeah, that's why these receptors are dialed to blue because it sort of changes more than any other color throughout the day and pretty consistently, except until the last, you know, 1879 was like the first time man literally ever was able to alter it. But the key is that we only had like burning lights. So incandescent, you know, bulbs with the filament, they generate a lot of red and a lot of heat, kind of like these ones. I think these are incandescent too. If I touched it, probably really hot. Um, although they're becoming outlawed in certain states, but I think Trump might have passed an order that makes them legal again, which would be a really good thing. Because when you, so what happened in the last few decades, which I believe is the main reason that these diseases are skyrocketing, these mitochondrial chronic diseases we're facing, they we started using not only more fluorescents, although those have been in use in offices and hospitals since like the 60s, 70s, I think, plenty, even earlier. But we started using the LED a ton. And the LED is is pretty much one of the worst lights ever made because it generally it has a, a lot more blue and has a very specific spike of blue. So I actually have like a spectrometer, digital spectral meter we could use. And I could even, if you want me to do a demo, I could point it at this light and show the spectral curve versus this, or we could do there it at go. the end. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it at the end. After cool. The show. Oh, yeah. So yeah, and we could put it somewhere maybe if someone wants to see it. But we'll anyhow, it the YouTube. yeah. So basically, um, that's like the key. You, you basically hit the nail on the head. First, that, the first step of the light diet for me, getting this fixed, isn't even getting the sunrise. It's actually even before that. It's getting to sleep earlier and with less artificial light so that we're going to have na normalized melatonin secretion and production and all this stuff. So we're going to repair properly and then we're going to sleep better. And for example, Sky, I, I uh, went to Barton Springs with him this morning. He told me that just from his aura, he knows that when he gets more hours of sleep before midnight, his, he has way more deep sleep, but after midnight, it's generally not as good. And there's like these sayings, cliches, people say that, you know, the number of hours you get before midnight, each hour is like two hours worth of sleep to some extent. And my belief on why that is, is because it's lined up with our circadian rhythm the way it's supposed to be. Whereas if we stay up later at night, we're demanding a lot of the body to be functional without having the sunlight energy and the red in particular that's actually helping to power that. Mm -hmm. So a couple hours maybe is okay, two, three hours, but any more than that, and you're really getting yourself, you're killing yourself, um, I believe. So. Well, I think there's no question about yeah. that. If you read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, he will there tell you, you all the ways you kill yourself by a lack of sleep. Exactly. And so there's that. And then, yeah, I actually haven't read that one yet. I totally should. <laughs> but um, then also, if we do the phase shift of the circadian rhythm by staying up late with artificial lights, we're not going to be awoken like the birds by the morning light or even before that. And so we're going to miss the daily signal. It's called Zeitgeber in German, but in English too, it means a time giver. And it basically sets the rhythm to continue that morning exposure. So it's like someone's up till 10, 11, 12 every night and you're sleeping till eight and you're missing that six, seven, those hours, you have problems. And of course there's a quote, early to bed and early to rise can make any man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it's totally true because you just sharpen up in the morning with the light, everything works better for the reasons we've discussed. Yeah, I've got to get up earlier than the sunrise here um, to take my son to school. And it's been great. His Tosh will 
she'll prepare breakfast for him. And a lot of times I'll walk the dog to take care of one other chore, but that's my morning movement program. And Aubrey talks about this in his book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. The morning routine that he recommends the most is to start your day with uh, 16 to 20 ounces of room temp water with a little sea salt, Himalayan pink or, or Celtic sea salt, and then have a morning movement program. Doesn't mean you need to have a full-blown fucking workout, but go for a walk, do some sun salutations, jump on a trampoline, mm. something just to get the engine going and do that outside. That's huge. Be out, see the light, let the light hit your face and your skin and your solar panels. And that's like one of the big, it's a low-hanging fucking fruit, but it's one of the biggest changes I've made to my life and one of the things that I, I'll do now is I do sun gaze, not every day of the week, but quite a bit. I'll get to see the sunrise. And I, I promise you, sunrise is shit on sunsets. Like there is, <laughs> if you're on a beach somewhere I on vacation, you, yeah. sunsets are dope. Don't get me wrong. But a sunrise is just like your whole fucking day exactly. is different from that. You know, energy wise, mood, elevation, the whole fucking nine. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just a different animal. I think you're that, the first person I've heard say that, but I appreciate it so much because I completely agree. It's, it's the best way to start any day. Truly. Yeah. It's like uh, the Navy Admiral in the commencement speech. It says, if you make your bed every day, you'll at least have accomplished that one thing. I think when you, when you have a, a list of boxes to check off that are for you, things that add wealth to your well-being and your life, that watching a sunrise at least as often as you can is pretty fucking special. It's a pretty special mm-hmm. box to check off. And the whole rest of the day, it's a lot better than just making your bed. I mean, not just for your health, but also for your mood, how you feel, the energy you have going into the day. It's, it's a fucking phenomenal practice. Absolutely. And the ancients, even in India, Ayurveda, they discuss sun gazing as a powerful practice because of its effects on the pineal gland. So even though we're making or, or we're secreting our melatonin late in the evening, the initial signaling for the creation of melatonin and tons of other key hormones is from that sunrise. And, you know, there's some anecdotes that people who sun gaze have a pineal gland that's significantly larger. I mean, in the pineal gland, it's considered the third eye. You know, I think the sort of seat of, of higher consciousness on some level. And it's also that that tattoo a lot of people get, which is the logo of Ra. It's like the eye of, of Horus or the eye mm-hmm. of Ra. That's apparently uh, a cross section of the pineal gland, what it looks like in the brain based on their mummification knowledge. So imagine just from sun gazing, they already know this in the East, but how much higher one's consciousness can be from the way the light affects our systems. I think it's pretty profound. That's one of the reasons I'm, you know, stoked to continue doing it. That's awesome, brother. Well, I mean, let's, uh, you do, what do you, what do you call it? The light diet? Yeah, the light diet. Let's, let's talk about that a bit more in detail because this is something that you're offering. Is it a course you have online? Or I don't a- yet. Um, okay. I'm working on a course and potentially a book eventually, but mostly okay. just I share it in podcasts. Well, let's, let's go steps. through. We'll let's just go down the list of that and hammer it out. I think I have about... 23 more minutes with you. So Perfect. So basically, yeah, step one, sleep with the sun. And if you're up late, use the uh, blue free lights and blue blocking glasses because there's softwares on screens like Iris for computers or Flux. And then there's a iPhone hack. Do you have the red hack on your iPhone? Uh, I didn't do the, I, I have done, I haven't done the red hack. Okay, I well, leave I can it on show night you. shift mode the whole time. That's really good. But the red one is even better for night because it cuts it all. But people can Google how to make your iPhone red. There's videos on it. Greenfield, there you go. That's a good one. So um, so there's that. And um, the thing is, though, even with the screens, blue blocking glasses are always necessary because the softwares never fully remove the blue spike. 
And so in the day, it's like, in, it's very inconsequential, that tiny bit that will still come through. But at night, no bueno. So blue blockers are great because they sit on the eye and they protect you from everything. So then the second step we already discussed as well, rise with the sun. So sleep with the sun, rise with the sun. Uh, it has all these hormonal benefits, setting that hypothalamus, you know, via these, that third photoreceptor cell in the eye, talking directly to the hypothalamus, signaling the circadian rhythms, suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain. And then one could do with that eating a good protein-based breakfast, kind of like from Tim Ferriss said this in his slow carb diet, like have, I think it was 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of rising. And that worked really well. Dr. Cruz actually says the same thing. That's the, the cornerstone of the leptin reset is a big ass breakfast within 30 minutes of rising, 50 grams of protein, he says. Cause that like, there's a few things that set the circadian rhythm in the morning. It's light, food, and movement. So those, you hit those three, you're pretty golden. You know, I would presume a, a little, maybe a little bit of movement before like sun salutations at sunrise, then have your breakfast is smarter than trying to move after you've eaten unless you're done digesting a couple hours later. But I think that's a pretty good protocol to follow in general. So rising with the sun, great. Um, also key, because people always ask like, how long to be in the sun? How long should I watch the sunrise? You know, the first 15 to 30 minutes, you can generally look right at it, depending on where you are. If you're on the equator, it'll get really strong, really fast. So you might only get 15, 20 minutes, but you can generally get it fresh off the horizon. So the key is to be out until there's UVA light, which you can feel as heat on the skin because of the reaction of it when it hits our cells and it's dissipated by those, the uh, DNA, basically the keratinocytes that make up our solar callus, which is like our callus on our feet, but for our, basically for our skin. So the solar callus, then for example, the next step would be sunbathe and live outdoors during the day. So the morning light sort of sets our rhythm. But sunbathing later in the morning or in the middle of the day, it actually has the benefit of charging up our cells. There's a researcher, you've probably heard of the fourth phase of water and mm -hmm. Gerald Pollack. Yep. I, so heard he, on, I heard him on Greenfield as well. Have yeah, his book. he's awesome. So in his book, people can read the fourth phase of water. It's just fascinating water research. But basically, to not get too deep, water stores energy and water in cells is very different from water in a glass. It's in this structured phase. And what structures it is infrared light, which interestingly enough, it's the frequencies that our skin lets pass through completely. You know, the red light panels provide it. It makes the mitochondria work better, but it also affects our water. Um, our mitochondria generate infrared light because they're only 39% efficient and all the rest is dissipated as heat. But the water around them captures that and takes advantage of it. It doesn't all get you know, form like a gel-like structure. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. And that, and so once the gel-like structure is formed, structure is formed, he has also shown that UV light, so it starts with the red light structuring it, but once it's formed, UV light turns it into like a massive mega battery, basically. So it's almost like it's really important for people, if you are going to get sunlight, to start with morning exposure and that sun gazing in those early hours, and then go out, if you're going to go in the middle of the day, make sure you had your morning exposure. Otherwise, your, your body isn't as prepped anyway because that's how you'll burn. Also, with any type of sunbathing past like the earliest hours of the sun, I always have to recommend to people, you know, start with five or 10 minutes and build up just because burning isn't good and it's going to wear out the skin and create, you know, wrinkles. People ask like, yeah, is it black or white? You know, it's different for everyone, right? It I is. Somebody, I, I remember taking a photo with my son. He was maybe, I don't know, he was maybe like two weeks old and the pediatrician told us, um, keep him out of the sunlight until he's like eight weeks old. And I laughed in her face. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. 
you, do you think that we that this is how it went down from the fucking dawn of time for anything that's living on earth, let alone human beings, for us to fucking avoid sunlight? I go, even fucking somebody from Sweden should expose their kids to the sun in Sweden, not necessarily in Ecuador or, yeah. or Peru. But you know what I'm saying? You don't get that yes. and within reason, right? But it was just, it was comical to me. And, uh, you know, I was born with jaundice. Um, what do they do? They put you under fake lights that try to mimic the sun. What exactly. did Native Americans do for jaundice? They fucking laid their kids on the ground naked Probably and let the sunlight jaundice. get rid of it, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, my, my point was, totally. it, was just, it was it just blew my mind that that's kind of the what we're up against here. With, it's a big with, issue. With textbook Western medicine versus what's really happening when we connect to the way our ancestors live. And, you know, I put bear out there. And then, of course, I had people, I talked about this, how ridiculous it was. And then somebody chimed in from Sweden saying, you know, well, maybe for you, that's fine, but I'll burn and I don't want to get cancer. Right. So, look, there's no doubt we have to set parameters around what we're capable Mm -hmm. of. If I want to start back squatting, I start with the fucking bar. I don't walk in and think I'm going to hit 500 pounds for a max effort back squat. It doesn't work that way. I got to work my way up to it. And we're from California. My son's born in California. Same right down the street from where I was. So we're tuned, you know, with our genetics to that landing place. We come here to Austin, which is further south than San Diego. And I would get a little red in the first summer we were here. But by the end of this summer, I've been, I can be outdoors all day long and not burn. So there is a way that you can make that work. And my son has a fucking gorgeous tan right now. If you That's see really him good. walking around, it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, we, you know, and that, that also goes with reason too. Like I'm not, I don't keep him out from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the brightest, hottest part of the day. Mm-hmm. I'll work with him for a couple hours in the sun. That's smart. And, you know, and then we pull him out. In the winter, in the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere, away from the tropics, midday sun can make sense. And even a tiny bit because that's when there's most UVB to make vitamin D. But yeah, tons of midday sun is generally less advisable. Like the morning sun, you know, the, there were heliotherapists, people who healed people with light. They healed rickets, which was caused by lack of vitamin D in the late 1800s in the Industrial Revolution. And they cured, there was a Nobel Prize in 1903 for lupus vulgaris, which is tuberculosis of the skin, which was caused by bacteria. And the UV light kills bacteria. So they found that the cure for tuberculosis of the skin was just exposure to UV light. Dr. McCullough has even talked about psoriasis being healed through direct sunlight. Oh yeah, all of, literally, I mean, that's an autoimmune disease, all of them. I, I believe that's an autoimmune disease. All of them can be healed by sunlight. Uh, to, at least to some extent, and avoidance of artificial light and so on. So another thing just in regards to jaundice, it's fascinating. I've also noticed like if you, in, I was just in Europe. So there's people from Africa, from literally like Somalia, you know, the darkest, darkest places and Ethiopia and so on. And a lot of, a lot of them have jaundice in their eyes. And the reason is because their pigment is designed to block all the sun because they have so much for example, between the lightest skin, which I'm very close to, and the darkest skin type, it takes 10 times longer for them to make vitamin D it, because in you know the equator, it's a huge beneficial adaptation. You're not going to get literally heat stroke and die from being out hunting in the middle of the day. But you know, if you're Northern European, you're not going to be able to make vitamin D if you have that protection. That's why part of the reason we turned white. So these people had jaundice as adults because at least my great theory is that they aren't able to break apart. I think bilirubin is the molecule that is in excess that leads to jaundice. It's just interesting. It's, it's a common theme I've noticed in, and it, it must be similar to the same uh, component as children. You know, it's very common in Europe 
yeah. um, with the African people who who go there. So anyhow, um, yeah. So light is key for catalyzing a lot of things in the body, separate of the production of energy from food. It's like vitamin D. No matter how much good food you eat, you're not going to make. You can get vitamin D to some level from like cod liver oil and seafood, but and that Micro kind of doses. thing. Microdoses, but it's not as effective as all these systems that the body also, in addition to food, designed or evolved to have occur. That's why it's key not just to have just food or just light, but both. So that's step three of the light diet, sunbathing, and be cautious. Um, step four is consuming fluoride-free water because like the fourth phase of water goes, if we have all these toxic chemicals in our water, fluoride, chloride, they're already bad for many reasons. Chlorine, yeah. Yeah, and um, calcification of the pineal gland occurs with excess consumption of fluoride. Dr. Cruz, as a neurosurgeon, even verified this. He sees the calcified pineal gland in people whose head he operates on. So no so, tap water. No tap water. Only either bottled spring water, you know, glass bottles are better if you can afford it. Um, you know, getting the big delivery services to save plastic and that stuff. and Five-gallon drums that you reuse. Exactly, yeah. that kind of thing. If you can get your own spring. I bet here in a place like Texas, there's a lot of good springs around. I mean, Barton Springs right there. I bet the water's probably good if you could drink it. Um, even there were studies long ago that showed that people drinking water from their local regions had like way lower rates of cancer than people drinking water that was moved, which hmm. today we pretty much all do, but this was something a sunlight researcher told me about. He's all into the vibrations, but that's for... Five is consuming seafood, as discussed. It builds up not only um, in our retina and in our skin to help us absorb light, but also it's the main building block of myelin, which is the sheathing, of course, that conducts uh, electrical signals on nerves and allows us to have a really complex functioning brain. Think of it as the rubber coating that goes along all the electrical wiring in your body that is the nervous exactly. system. Exactly. And when yeah. you lose that, Except that's conductive. cross-connectivity. That's, that's issues that people have with uh, some of the brain disorders. Mm -hmm. You think you want to stand up and instead you piss your pants. So you don't want that no, thing to go you anywhere. You, want to you don't that. want that. Exactly. And that, uh, based on all the theories of human evolution, in addition, in addition to the discussion with sunlight, to me, that's the most convincing one is that we moved from inland in the savannah as apes to a coastal region where there was loads of easy to forage shellfish, not necessarily fish at this point, but shellfish that we could literally just crack open and eat. There's even archaeological evidence of massive or caves with tons of shellfish that humans would probably grill or just eat raw. And this is, they're so high in minerals that the human brain specifically craves like zinc. Oysters are like the best. And they're also aphrodisiacs. It's like, you know, make people want to have sex. Maybe that's indicating of, indicative zinc, of something. Zinc, selenium, iodine, a lot of exactly. these powerhouses that were nutrient deficient in. Exactly. The thing, well, the thing, exactly. The things that the human brain evolved using and now we've moved to an environment where we're not consuming that so much anymore. But it's not that we you know, don't have them or something. It's like, that's what we're supposed to have from the way the human evolved. So it's simple. You leave the place where you evolve this complex brain, you're going to slowly de-evolve. Um, you're not going to have all the stuff. So that's why that's so key. It helps us get in more light, just like the water helps us store the light better, just as the, the first steps help us also get in more light. And then, so that's four and five. Six is getting cold. So again, cold cools the skin, allows us to assimilate more light. Like hot on the beach, you get in the ocean, you get more sun and it feels great. Again, you have to, stop once you've had enough for the day, even if you are going in the cool and the sun. Ice bathing and sunbathing alternating to me is like the best. Just yeah, feels we do, so we great. do the ice bath and then we got one set up similar to Luke and then yeah. hit 10 minutes each side with the juve or run around and play outside Epic. afterwards from the cold. And yeah. eventually we'll get a nice hot sauna going like Gabby and Lair do down in mm -hmm. Malibu. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, there are ways to hack this stuff on the cheap. And I, that's something that I try to give to people the, the 
there's no excuse not to take a cold shower in the wintertime. Mm. That's available. Everyone has yeah. that, right? Like we certainly don't Even get that summer. cold here. <laughs> it's not cold at all during the summer here, but I have the ice bath. So mm-hmm. point is you can do that and it's relatively cheap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 550 bucks. I don't ever have to buy an ice bag again. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have that That's delivered huge. straight to my door. I can fix it up. Luke's story. We'll link to his uh, his um, blog where he did a post on how to how to make your own cold bath at the crib. And yeah. um, it's fantastic. It's but huge. We have officially run out of time. Okay. I know we could for sure keep going on this. And I definitely totally want to have good. you back on because we didn't even get into much of the other biohacks. You know, we talked a bit about cold. We talked a lot about light in the mitochondria, which is really what I wanted to dive into with you today. But uh, I know you're you're on the cutting edge of all this stuff. We got through a lot. We got through plenty. And we'll have plenty more to talk about next time. It's been so great having you on, brother. Likewise. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show today with my boy, Matt Maruka. I hope you learned a lot. I certainly had to take some notes in revisiting this podcast. As always, check out kingsboo.com. Kingsboo.com is my website. We've got all the podcasts and YouTube videos up there. We've also got show sponsors. If you just want to click on one and make a purchase, Most importantly, leave me your email address and I will happily send you my exact supplement protocol on the house. And in addition to that, you're going to get a monthly newsletter. The welcome letter is going to tell you everything from the books that I'm reading to what I'm learning in life to recent trip reports via psychedelics or otherwise, as well as anything that I find really interesting. And one of the things that I'm finding interesting right now is this microdosing protocol from Paul Stamets, which I'm about to get into for a minimum of 30 days. So I will keep you posted and updated about that. And all you got to do is click subscribe by giving me your email and you'll get all that stuff on the house. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you in a few days.